Today we're going to begin a new message series that uh, goes in a little bit different direction than we went uh, in the last uh, several weeks on our study of Caleb. And uh, it really is a, a theme that is on the edge of uh, everyone's mind, I think. Uh, one that, uh, as a lot of people are considering current events, they're considering uh, uh, perhaps presidential candidates and so many things that seem so strange. They're wondering, are we getting close to the end? And we really don't know. And it's, uh, it's a topic that, honestly, uh, I was able to avoid for a very long time. I can remember as a kid, I just never, ever thought about everything that I was experiencing in my young life uh, as, as ending. And uh, my, my childhood was actually pretty good. Uh, loving parents, uh, we had uh, uh, horses and pasture and mini bikes and woods and you know you didn't think about anything as um, a person who was uh, growing up about anything larger than what you were experiencing in the here and now. <clears throat> but I remember in the 80s uh, I was a junior in high school, maybe a senior, and I remember watching on TV a show that really turned the corner for me in my comprehension of larger events. And it was, a, it was a depiction of what would happen if the earth was um, destroyed uh, through a nuclear holocaust. I don't know if you remember uh, the show The Day After, uh, if you ever watched it. Uh, and if you watch it as a young person who's becoming more aware of life and the possibility of the threat of nuclear extinction, uh, all of a sudden what was cheerful became somewhat dark. And it was something that as I considered the possibility and I considered all of the new stories about nuclear buildup and the arms race and everything that was happening between ourselves and, and um, the Soviet Union at the time, uh, it, um, it, it struck fear in me that there was a possibility that everything that I had experienced in my life would very quickly come to an end. And I don't know if that realization has ever set in with any of you, but if you read in the scripture, you find that there is that theme of when everything is going to come to an end. And it was something in my young life that I hadn't really considered uh, before, of course, considering a lot of other things that uh, had to do with just um, uh, why we had great reason to fear. Eventually, uh, I found myself turning to uh, the Bible and, and considering uh, who Jesus was and what difference it made. Uh, but very quickly, I, I was trying to answer the question, what is it going to be like when it all ends? And I, rem I remember somebody pointing me to the book of Revelation. And if you're a new believer and somebody points you to the book of Revelation, you're going to find yourself extremely confused uh, because of all the imagery and symbolic language and uh, the way that uh, metaphors are stretched. And I'm using words that I didn't even know that even existed uh, at the time when I first read it. And as I'm trying to literally trying to make sense of it, uh, I just found myself scratching my head. The first Christian book that I ever read was uh, one by Hal Lindsey called The Late Great Planet Earth. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of that book, 
but it was a description of what he perceived to be the accounts described in uh, Old Testament books like Daniel and Ezekiel, and also uh, the New Testament book of, of, of Revelation. And in it, he made connections between what was happening in the headlines and what was happening in the description of Scripture. And as I read through it, I found myself uh, uh, somewhat more uh, fear-struck because uh, it, it was described as a, a great conflict between ourselves and the Soviet Union and many of the current events that uh, were described in the early 80s were, and, and the late 70s were correspondent with uh, the book of Revelation. I remember going to church and, of course, uh, the very first priority for me was to be able to formalize my relationship with Jesus and to make him my Lord and Savior. Uh, that was a burden that I think he placed on me as he called me to be part of his family. And I know that he calls us, each of us, uh, in like manner. But the second item on my agenda as I got to know the pastor there was uh, I remember approaching him and saying, um, and this, of course, was Jack Austin's pastor as well. I said, Bill, I said, I understand a lot of things about Jesus now that I didn't before. However, I am very intrigued by what's happening in current events and how it relates to the book of Revelation. And he took me aside and he said, well, tell me what you know. And I described it. And then he said, well, this is, this is how I understand it. And he phrased it in such a way that caused me to walk away with much more peace uh, than I had prior to that. And it was very helpful for me to resolve some things uh, in my own very questioning mind about how uh, God was going to work out uh, things in the end. And I've discovered since then that there are numerous accounts of people writing about the end times and corresponding them with current events that after a while you become kind of jaded by the different accounts that people come up with and different connections. And then you see over time they don't really proved to bear out. And you ask yourself, well, how is it going to happen? And I really can't say, based on current events, this equals that. Because I know ever since the beginning, people have been pointing to current events or bad people or people that have been uh, uh, assaulting the church and describing them in some way that connects them to the end times, whether it's the Antichrist or whether it's something to do with um, one nation taking over another. Uh, one of the reasons why we have groups uh, like the Jehovah's Witnesses um, and, and even the Mormons to some degree, and there were just a, a number of um, groups that emerged in the, the mid-1800s when times were going through a great deal of turmoil, not unlike what we're going through. And as a result, there were people reading the Bible, and they were saying, this is going to happen, and they developed followings. And so you had Jehovah's Witnesses, and the Mormons, and the uh, Christian scientists, and you had the Seventh-day Adventists. And I could just go on all day listing cults that, um, or groups rather, uh, I would define them as cults because they're exclusive in their understanding of who's in and who's out. And as you look at their experience, they were pretty much feeling what you and I are feeling today. And they were saying these bad events that are happening, whether it's uh, 
rumors of war in Europe with all the revolutions happening or whether it was our own rumblings of revolution with what would become the Civil War or whether it was the fact that you grew up on the farm and now big industry is calling you into the city and now you're working or, or now, now you're experiencing huge changes uh, in your work world. And in a lot of ways what they experienced, we're experiencing. There are wars and rumors of wars. Our industry is changing not just from a manufacturing to an information economy, but now an information economy that is um, uh, focused uh, very heavily on computer processing power and the role that that is taking as far as eliminating jobs and people are feeling all of this uncertainty. And so I know the question looms in the back of, of minds of people who have been on earth for a little while and have seen these changes. And they're wondering, what does the end of the world look like? And I can't tell you specifically what the end of the world looks like, but I can tell you some features that we have to keep in mind uh, that are found in a few different books of the Bible. And I, I would really like to focus on them. One of them is uh, what's described in the book of 2 Peter. And if you have your Bibles, you're certainly welcome to follow along. However, if you have um, your message notes with you, I encourage you to take a look at the front of them. And in it, um, we're just, I don't have it on the screen, but um, we, we basically uh, have taken uh, one part of the, of the third chapter and included it on the front of your message notes. And um, as we take a look, I think it's important to, 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 um, to, to consider this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Then he goes on to say, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus dissolved, what sort of people ought, we, ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, or the day of God, rather, because of which heaven, the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, if I were back in my 19-year-old mind, and I was thinking about the end times, I would probably not think too much about what is, what's really being said here. I would just be thinking, okay, it's all going to end, and it's going to burn up in fire. And so I just need to get myself ready and wait for it to happen. But what Peter's really getting at is something that really involves the state of our heart and the state of our relationship and the possibility that it's not what it needs to be when that day of destruction comes. But for, uh, for the sake of a young mind that might be trying to figure out what's going to happen, let's turn our message notes over and let's just consider some things. The earth as we know it, as we know it, is going to end someday. Um, 
you don't have to even go very far to wrap your mind around this. If you've watched any of the apocalyptic movies that have been on uh, recently in the last few years, uh, whether it's 2012 where depicted in the Mayan calendar uh, was the fact that the earth evidently was destroyed in 2012, only for some reason we're still here. Uh, it, there's movies like Armageddon. Uh, and constantly the themes have to do with either a great tsunami, an earthquake, um, there are uh, the possibility of an asteroid coming and plummeting the earth and causing fire to emerge out of that. Uh, some people have even speculated so far as to say that Sharknado will be the end. I honestly have my doubts, but you just never know what the, um, what the particular mechanisms are going to be uh, to, to, to accomplish what God needs to accomplish. That said, uh, it's a theme that Hollywood says people are interested in. We, I think, understand that intuitively, that it has to somehow end up somewhere. And so I want to just ask three questions as we're looking at our text today. And uh, these are questions I think the text actually tells us to ask. And that is, first of all, what does God say about the day the earth ends? And there are obviously references in other parts of the Bible about this. But Peter does such a wonderful job, I think, of summarizing so much about the Christian faith. Uh, he takes what Paul says very complexly, and he boils it down to really the, the nuts and bolts and the how-to. And that's why I enjoy reading the books of First and Second Peter and would recommend them to any new believer. Uh, because he summarizes... Uh, very well uh, what's expected of us and what's going on from God's point of view. And this part, uh, I don't think, is any exception. So what does God say about the day the earth ends? Well, the first thing that we know, obviously, is that it will happen unexpectedly. Uh, it uh, is described as a thief coming in the night. And um, as uh, it's... Um, as, it, as it's described in, in terms of effect, it says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Now, I don't know if you've ever had a thief come to your house in the middle of the night, or if you've ever had anything stolen while you were unaware that that was taking place. But it wasn't like the thief had said, okay, I'm going to call you a week before, and I'm going to just let you know I'm coming. And I'll probably be coming next Saturday right around 2 o'clock in the morning. Uh, so make sure you're asleep. But leave some lights on so I don't fall and hurt myself. And you can imagine the thief um, uh, giving us indication of all the things that he's going to have to do to um, accomplish what he needs to accomplish. And, you know, the absurdity of that thought uh, is, is what I think sometimes is the absurdity of trying to try to project when it's going to happen. Uh, the, the writer of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul in Romans 8 says, uh, before it happens, there will be birth pangs. And... So one of the frustrations that I've had with trying to understand the details of when and how is, is the fact that it is very ambiguous language. And I, I believe that's by design. I mean, for example, if my wife is telling me, 
I'm having birth pangs. And I said, can you describe to me in detail each pang and what that means? And as you tell me through descriptive language what each of the pangs represents to you, perhaps I can tie them together in some kind of meaningful story. Do you think my wife would even respond to that questioning? She would say, for crying out loud, it's not about the pangs, it's about the event. Are you ready for the event? And of course, I wasn't. I mean, we did Lamaze class together, but my mind just was a total blank sea of calm. And no, it was, a, it was blank, but it wasn't a sea of calm. It was very turbulent. And so, what did I do? She said, we got to go to the hospital. You know what my first thing was with our first kid? I went to her satchel that she had that contained the notes from the Lamaze class so I could figure out what I needed to be doing again. I forgot. She looked at me and she just shook her head and she said, it's a little late for that. And I said, yeah, you're probably right. Then I threw up a very large and desperate prayer. And I said, God, I am way over my head on this one. And by the grace of God, I got through it. And I don't think that it's any stretch to say, if you look at the characteristics of that experience, that's probably plenty. And it's going to happen unexpectedly. I mean, in her case, we went out and had prime rib that evening. Now, I don't eat prime rib very often because I can't afford it. And then when she, after she ate it, I didn't realize that it wasn't going to go through the normal digestive process, if you know what I mean. Um, so she wasted a perfectly good prime rib. Had I, had I known that this was going to happen, we'd have went to McDonald's and I'd have felt perfectly fine about that. So you don't know. And I think Paul just says some language is not really equipped to describe all these elements. So Peter says, okay, if you really need to know, it's going to happen like a thief in the night. It'll happen unexpectedly. When you least expect it, expect it. Uh, so that's a fair warning that God could return at any moment. Uh, but as you read through uh, what Peter wrote, uh, we haven't covered what he said previously in verses 3 through 8. But one of the things that he said is the day of the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. And I don't fully know what that means other than God's comprehension of these things is far vaster than my ability to discern the details. And so I just have to trust him on it. So secondly, um, God will destroy everything not fit for the world to come. Now, the language is very dramatic. And it's really the only place in the New Testament where you see the world being destroyed with fire in that way. Uh, and it's interesting because if you read the Old Testament, you find that the same sort of language is used to describe judgment upon uh, the nations that were opposing Israel. And the prophets would come and they would speak about it. And numerous times in the Old Testament, you hear the, the prophets say, and the day of the Lord will be like. 
And they go on to describe that it's going to be horrific for those who are the adversaries of God's people. And so there's, there's, there's dramatic language about the destruction of those nations. While at the same time, 60 times in the, in the Old Testament, the day of the Lord means it'll be a day when Israel will turn from all of the chaos that is striking so much fear in their hearts to a day when everything will be renewed and restored and um, the blessings that were originally envisioned uh, will be multiplied upon God's people. So it has, it's a double-edged sword. It's a bad day for the people that are opposed to God's purposes. It turns out to actually be a good day for the people that are in alignment with God's purposes. And that theme is just consistent throughout the Old Testament. And one thing I know about Peter is he didn't have a Bible like you and I have a Bible to say, okay, the Bible says this in the New Testament. All he had was the Old Testament and, and some other writings that people had at that time that, um, that weren't included in the Old Testament. And so he's just drawing from the well of that richness. And he's saying that God's going to destroy everything that's not fit for what I have in mind for what is yet to come. Now, whether it is by literal fire or not, that's a huge debate that scholars have. Um, and and I'm, I've got my own opinions about how that'll happen. But the one thing that I, I don't want to get lost in is the details of this, other than what effect God is trying to produce. I mean, I like the drama and the flash of all of that. I actually thought about showing you a dramatic video of the earth being consumed by fire, but then I thought, no, that's kind of depressing. And I know that we have to fear uh, what is yet to come in a healthy way, but we also need to walk out if you're saying, I'm not going to feel the darkness and despair of the world because I have the hope of the world living me, in me. Uh, Colossians says, Christ in you is the hope of, hope of glory, and, and it's the hope of people around us. God will destroy everything not fit for the world to come. Why would God do that? Because there is a vision that God has that transcends the evilness of the world that we now experience in our own lives. Evil within us, evil around us, evil throughout. In all of its chaotic and dysfunctional and very harmful ways. The greatest evil being death itself. And God says all of those things are not fit for what is yet to come. And I, I suspect part of my job as a pastor is to help you in your heart and your mind and in your character to be fit for that world that is yet to come. Hoping that when all of it is revealed that the transition will be pretty smooth. As opposed to like Paul says, some will be escaping into that as if one escaping out of the flames. And God has, he doesn't want us to just get by with the minimal entrance requirements or fire insurance or whatever, however you want to reduce the gospel down to just um, uh, the lowest common denominator. God says, no, I have a new vision for your life and a new vision for life with us together forever. And in the passage that we read, we find that God not only will destroy everything not fit for the world to come, but God is also working... Uh, through the promises that he's offered over time to, um, 
to, to, to basically provide a, a, a new world for us to dwell in. Let's go ahead and show that. He's going to renew the earth with righteousness. In the Old Testament, every time the day of the Lord is mentioned, oftentimes it's followed by, or no, frequently when the day of the Lord is mentioned, uh, it, is, it is, is followed by the word, um, and the righteousness of God will prevail. And there are a lot of different ways to try to wrap our mind around this. Um, and, and the best way that, that, that I've been trying to do, in, in, in the last several months in describing, aligning our hearts and minds for the, 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 the renewed earth that is yet to come, is that what would it be like to have a job in a company where what everybody was doing was exactly something that you yourself did not believe in. And you didn't like how people were carrying on with one another. You didn't like the politics. You didn't like um, the, the character of the people there. And you found yourself in this place like you just didn't really fit. And every day you went to work, you just felt like it was so oppressive. And what if I were to describe somebody coming into God's new creation and their whole life, they've hated God, they've hated the things of God, they've hated Christians, they enjoy bloodlust and anger and rage, and they enjoy all that darkness. And to bring that person into a place where... All of the good and blessed elements of God are present. I can only imagine would be like hell for that person. And God's saying, if you don't want to be there, I'm not forcing you to come. But I do want you to understand this. If those things characterize your life, then you have one of two options here. One is to see the truth and to be set free by it. And I'm bringing salt and light into the world so you can discover it. The other is to just stay in the darkness that you find yourself enjoying. And know that one day, I'm going to come and, and destroy it all. And it's a, it's a very harsh decision that we each have to make. Because there is judgment. But there's also righteousness. And what I like about the fact that those things are going to happen is that God has made a way for us to face that day whenever it comes and to have courage and have strength and even have joy because he's carrying us through it. Um, so the righteousness of God is going to prevail in God's new creation. And I'm very excited about that. I mean, I love the righteousness of God. And I know that I look, as I look into my own heart, it's not, it's not entirely there in completion. But I long for the day when everything I think, everything I say, everything I do is good and right and just and pure and holy. We all know in our better self that that is living. But we also know we're corrupted by this world. And God is saying there's going to come a day when that will all change. And Peter wanted to assure those who were listening that it would occur. So here's the second thing as, um, as we go through this. When, when does it happen according to God's timetable? 
As I mentioned before, the day of the Lord um, is, 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 could be described literally or figuratively in the Old Testament. When the day comes, it, it could be a, a, a one day, just a destruction of a vast amount of people. And it, that happened with Egypt for sure. And it happened with many oppressors. But there were times when the day of the Lord meant a prolonged period of God's judgment and opposition to the people who were opposing him. And so it expands out. The Hebrew word yom is used there, which means a period of time. And so it has that idea. It's kind of like sometimes when we, we read the Bible and we read it literally or figuratively, it gets a little confusing. But what if I said, I'm going to kill you, but you know that I'm a wrestler speaking to another wrestler. Am I actually going to kill the other wrestler? No, I'm just talking big because... That's part of the entertainment. But if I was a serial killer, then you should be very concerned that I'm literally going to follow through on that. And so language has that sense. We use words descriptively, but in the end, they all carry the same idea. Something bad's going to happen to you. And the day of the Lord, for those who oppose the purposes of God, it's not a day to look forward to. If you're watching apocalyptic movies... They should make you feel very uncomfortable because of the sense of hopelessness that you have apart from God. But if you're watching those things or you're hearing about the end times and you have God in your life and in your being, then Paul says, let the perfect peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding, guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. And there's nothing like having that peace that is not from us reign in us and give us hope and comfort when things are scary. So the day of the Lord could be understood that way. But God's timetable is not like ours. The day of the Lord could, for the Peter said, for one day, it could be a thousand years, and a thousand years, one day. Um, we just really don't understand it from God's point of view. Here's what God did in Second Peter two, uh, 3 through um, 8. This is what he said prior to that. Let me, compare it, let me compare everything that I've just set up to now to what he says here. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is the coming promise? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forgot that long ago, God's word, uh, the heavens, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also... The, the world uh, of that time had deluged and was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget the one thing, dear friends, with the Lord, the day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Why did Peter include that as he talks about things that are might be ending as people were pondering that. He wanted us to know that, first of all, God is in control. He is in charge of it all. He created it all. He destroyed it all. He brought it all back to life. And if you saw the reference there, it was to Noah. 
Noah's told to build an ark because there's going to come a judgment. God sees all kinds of evil, and he said, that evil is not fit for the world that I have created, and so I have to get rid of it. And for, do you guys know how long Noah took to build that ark? Anybody? 120 years. Now, do you think people were walking along and saying, wow, that's a pretty cool ark. It's unfortunate that we're millions of miles away from any body of water. And you could hear the scoffing going on. And there were others saying, what are you doing? And Noah's saying, I'm getting ready to build an ark because God's getting ready to destroy the world. And if you repent and you come to God and you get right with him, then the possibility of you being destroyed along with it probably won't happen. And the interesting thing is, the word when, when it describes Noah going into the ark, it wasn't um, sent him into the ark. It was, it was like, the, the language is written in such a way that it says, and he beckoned Noah to come into the ark. And I think that's by design to show that it wasn't just Noah exclusively, but anybody. And there were only six, as it turned out. Because the others said, poppycock. This is just ridiculous. Who is God? Who does he think he is? And God said, I don't want any of these people to die. 120 years should be sufficient for them to come to their senses. And the life that God gives us should be sufficient for us to say, God, maybe you are on on target here. But here's the last aspect of that before we close out. When he finished, waiting for us to come to him is... um, is really, when he's finished waiting for us to come to him. When God looks at the situation going on around us, he's deeply upset with the evil, with the awful things that are happening, especially to Christians around the world, by forces of evil that are, are malicious. Yet, he knows that those people who are being oppressed and persecuted will be in a place forever with him where there, is no more, there are no more tears, no more death, no more pain. But all is being made new as we read in Revelation 21. What he's really concerned about are the people that are not responding to him because his kindness leads us to repentance. He is long-suffering. He's waiting, Peter said, for us to come to our senses and realize he's got better things in store for us. So here's, here's the last challenge. And that is, why should we believe it? Why should I believe everything that you just said, Leonard? Because clearly we're on the road to ruin, and I'm not so sure that it bears out. Well, there's no way of proving to you why, other than just considering how God can work personally in this situation in each of our lives to speak to our lives in ways that only he can. And these are the two things. First is, he's waiting for us to turn to him. He's waiting for us. He's not the type of God that says, I can't wait to destroy evil people. That's not in his heart. It's like anybody that you love that's gone prodigal. You're like, I can't wait until they come to their senses and they come around. I can't wait for them to see the day when every choice that they've made up to now has really not been a good choice and they've lived out the consequences of it. 
I want them to be with me forever, but I'm not going to force them. I can only allow the chaos of the circumstances to drive them to me. One last story, and it's a fun story. Um, I had a friend, uh, a young man who was in the church that I was in, in Jonathan Creek um, in Illinois. Uh, and I, I was able to uh, be a part of his life in very formative years. And um, he called me uh, this week and said, I'm going to be coming through to a conference in Pennsylvania. I'd like to stop by. And uh, he showed up last night, and it was really awesome to see him. And what I appreciate about this young man is he came out of some very chaotic, dysfunctional circumstances. And he found himself looking for answers and truth and order. And in the, in, in, in the, in, in the pro- progress and process of time, he came to the realization that, you know, God is just central to all of this. And he just began to read the scriptures very seriously. Very, very serious young man. And I was able to, like, of course, you know me, I'm a nerd and I'm all about that. I was able to nurture that. And long story short, um, we, we, he was heading to Pennsylvania. So we rode in the, I rode in the car with him over to Chippewa and we ate over there. And we were talking along the way. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm, really, I'm really feeling called to ministry. And I was so just gratified by him saying that because I saw how he came out of this chaos and how his life had become ordered and how now it was purposefully um, uh, oriented towards discovering God's purpose for his life. And this transformation that's happened over time has been pretty incredible. And I was just on cloud nine last night um, as, um, as I was able to talk with him and our family spent time with him. And um, it, it's always a joy to see God transform lives. And every week, I expect God to work in that way in someone's life through this church. And to be able to witness firsthand the joy of that transformation happening, where a person goes from deep fear and uncertainty about the things they see going on around them to the realization that God is in control and that his perfect peace can override all of that. And that's what God wants to offer to us. But secondly, it's even beyond that. It is the fact that he's not only waiting for us to turn to him, but he's promising us us something far greater. There, there There is, I think without exception, of all the New Testament books that are written, there is always a reference somewhere in them about what God has in store for us. They always keep that end game in mind that this is really why we're here. It's so that he can take us there. And the day of the Lord may be today for you. It may be a day when you feel that weight of, 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 of God saying, this isn't right in your life. But I want to turn it around. And maybe it's going to be a day that starts out bad, but ends up good. You ever have those days? You wake up and you're like, holy cow, it's just not going right. Put my shoes on backwards. Turn the coffee maker on. Didn't have the cup underneath it. I hear water running on the floor. You're like, this is a harbinger. You ever? Yeah. I only say that because I did that this week. 
And I'm like, how's this day shaping up? And then it ended, it ended actually very, very positively. And that's what God has in mind for us. But it requires of us a desire to take the step to let him in. He's not going to force his way in, but rather he's going to allow the circumstances to speak to you regarding whether you want to choose him or choose the chaos of what's, uh, what's, um, what we don't understand. God has given us a hope in his son and a means to know him forever and to be with him forever. And the question is, as he's been working in your heart and as he's been leading you to this moment, would you take that step and just make it official that Jesus Christ, this day, this day of the Lord, this first day of the Lord, I want to make him my Lord and Savior and be part of his new creation.